0: Well, this week was um, an interesting one. What stood out to me on Friday's earthquake was um, the leadership that was being displayed here at the campus. I was, it was 829, and I was actually standing still in my house with Judy. We're, We're getting ready to, I was getting ready to make the long commute over here by foot. Crossing the street, and I, you know, I crossed through Jordan and made it um, into, into the school. But it was, you know, that very sort of Red Cross dynamic where, you know, the lights are off and dimmed, and it's in the aftermath, and a lot of kids were um, in shock and uh, some hyperventilating and things. But I saw a lot of volunteers, a lot of uh, Grace Christian School leadership, teachers holding it together with, you know, especially the elementary classes and. You know, Steve Hatter's executive pastor was was doing a very good job in leadership, and that really was what I took away um, in terms of the experience. Everything was very orderly and well mannered because there was a good display of servant leadership that was happening, and uh, I want to talk about leadership this morning a little bit. Uh, Oswald Sanders summarizes his great book called Spiritual Leadership by saying everything rises and falls on leadership, everything. That's true. Whether you are a Fortune 500 company executive leader or you're just trying to lead your family, there are going to be positive and negative outcomes, passes and failures in terms of leadership. Always, leadership, both positive and negative leadership, is always going on. You're leading whether you know it or not. You're just either leading well or you're leading poorly. Leadership is an is factor. And usually when we talk about leadership, we define it with the single word of influence. Leadership is influencing people. But I want to spin it around uh, the other way for a moment because I think our text does because usually when you talk about leadership you're talking about becoming a better leader but I want to talk about the fact that we're not only called to lead but we're also called to follow leadership and you are following leadership whether you know it or not that's why Jesus Christ called people sheep sheep we're, we're sheep we're, we're following someone or Something, some idea all the time. Everyone is a sheep. Jesus talked about wayward sheep. He talked about lost sheep needing to be rescued. He talked about sheep who would recognize his voice and follow him. And he talked about sheep who would completely ignore the shepherd's voice. We are in a fold. We're either in Christ's fold or we're wandering outside of his fold, but we are followers as well. We're following someone and... The question is not whether or not you will be led, but by whom are you following and will you follow Jesus Christ as your shepherd in this life? Our text is begging that question. Our text before us in Hebrews chapter 3 is talking not about whether or not you're going to follow the world or Jesus and not about whether you're going to follow Satan or Jesus It's actually talking about whether or not you're going to follow a good leader or Jesus. A lot of us follow good people, good ideologies. We read things. We're listening to things. We follow good men. We follow good leaders who are qualified at a certain level. But the question isn't whether you're following good. It's whether you're following great. Are you following Jesus Christ who's better? than any leader this world could offer. The difference here is between Moses and Jesus. Jewish Christians following Moses' leadership, or are they going to fully follow Jesus' leadership? That's what chapter 3 is talking about. If you look at chapter 3 in the context, look beyond our text to verse 7 and following, there's a quotation of Psalm 95, and that's to give it a historical account of the greatest failure in Israel's history. Was where they were called to go into the promised land. They feared the giants in the land. They, They feared going forward at Kadesh Barnea. And what did they do? They tucked tail, went the other way, and wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. They didn't follow God. Who were they following? Well, they were following Moses, and it's not Moses' fault that they capitulated. The commentary on Moses' leadership is not his failure. It was their hard-hearted failure to not follow Moses who was pointing them to God. Do you see the difference? so important. Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? This is the first generation of the Israelites that fell in the wilderness. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? It goes on from there. And we'll pick up on that as we get into the text. But Israel's hard-heartedness, they were, you know, the Egyptians are going to kill us the food's bad, the giants are big, um, we had it better in Egypt, grumble, grumble, complain, complain, Moses, you've failed us, their hard-heartedness showed who they were really being led by, which was not God in their hearts. They were placing their attention on man in a negative way. And the whole point of hebrews as we talked about at the beginning of this whole study is to persevere as christians jesus is better his sacrifice is better he's the fulfillment of all of the old covenant in the new and he stands at the finish line and we're to run the marathon race with endurance the race set before us for us all the way through the finish line to jesus christ and whether or not you make it is the issue True Christians follow Jesus as their supreme leader in this life. True Christians persevere all the way to the end, following Jesus all the way to the end. So how do you do this? How do you follow Jesus? You say, well, I go to church and, you know, I read my Bible some, I'm in a Bible study, I'm not denying Jesus. I had a conversion experience at one point in my life that I kind of count on as insurance to get me into heaven, so I'm a follower of Jesus. Oh, really? Do you really think you're following Jesus Christ in your life right now? Do you really think that Jesus is alive to you in that way and that you're alive to him in that way, following the Lord Jesus? And I want to give you a practical way for you to evaluate whether or not you're following Jesus. Remember this phrase, following Jesus is considering Jesus Christ. Following Jesus is considering Jesus. You say, what does that mean? Well, look at our text this morning. Beginning at verse one. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. The word consider is kind of a weak interpretation of what's really there. This is not a passing consideration. This is to be focused and fixated on Jesus Christ. There's a lot said there in the New Testament about fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith. The Apostle Paul, this one thing I do, considering what lies behind, reaching forward for what lies ahead, the prize, the upward call in Jesus Christ – lifting your eyes off of this world and putting it on the Lord Jesus Christ, considering Christ is hard thinking about who Jesus really is and what he means to you. Considering Jesus Christ in this way, where he is your leader, is making the hard effort To think about who he really is and what he means to you in your daily life every single day. That's what it means to consider Christ. Anything lesser than that is following a lesser leader. You have to think hard about Christ. It's not a detached gaze. It's a full fixed gaze. Gaze. Well, how do we do this? Well, verses one through five give you kind of the fill in the blank for who Jesus really is and what he means to you if you're following him. First of all, Jesus is the better savior. Verse one, Christ, a better savior. Begin. it says, therefore, holy brothers. Remember the preceding context is Jesus calling himself our older brother. Verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. He's calling us family members. He's calling us brothers. And the author is saying, you're holy brothers. You're set apart as brothers in Christ. Jesus is your brother, but let me just reintroduce you to the fact that Jesus, your brother, is someone who invited you into a family who introduces you to the rest of your brothers and your sisters. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And let me say it in this way, in crisis, right? In crisis, these are your brothers. These are your sisters in the Lord. We're holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. And this is a heavenly calling that is a two directional calling. Jesus Christ, summoned you to come to be with Him and Him to you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus called you. It's no different than when He called Peter and Andrew walking by the Sea of Galilee. He said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. I'll give you a calling. He's calling you to be called to something and to be called to Him. He also went to... Uh, James and John and summoned them and they left their nets and followed him. Peter said, hey, summon me out onto the water. And, And Jesus called to Peter and said, come to me. Come to me. Do you remember Mary Magdalene? I take it's Mary Magdalene in the garden at the resurrection. And she confused Jesus for the gardener in the garden. And ultimately, Jesus looked at Mary and said her name, Mary And she recognized him. She recognized his voice. And she turned and said, Rabboni, which means teacher. There's a calling. There's a summons that takes place when you are saved. So this calling here is a heavenly one. It's coming from God to your heart. So in light of being a brother and sister to each other, in light of being called, soften your heart to say, I will now consider you, the Lord Jesus, as my leader. You're my leader. And leadership is being fixated on Christ regularly. Thinking of him. It's a daily commitment. Jesus wants to have that commitment just like he he made it with Zacchaeus. He said, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. That's leadership. Leadership is not bookish. This is a followership on a heart level where it should be tenderized, following as a sheep follows a shepherd. Jesus has laid claim on you as an apostle who came to you. Do you see that in verse 1? The apostle and high priest of our confession. This is the only place in scripture that Jesus is called an apostle An apostle, apostolos means messenger or sent one. Jesus came from heaven and was sent here for you to lay claim on you so that you would claim him and follow him. Jesus is the better apostle. He's the better leader. He is the best savior because he's in a league of his own. And he came down here to be with you, but guess what? Jesus was sent here to take you back home with him. is that amazing? He not only wants to sup with you in your home or live your life with you here on earth, he is taking you one day home to be with him. Point two, Christ is not only a better savior, he's a better priest And this builds into our context where Jesus is a better leader than Moses. He is the high priest of our confession. Our confession is the gospel. It's what we cling to. It's what we hold on to. And Jesus is a high priest, which means this. Jesus is the mediator between God and man. Jesus is the one who made the way, who extends his arm down to you and up towards heaven and makes the bridge standing in the gap for you to get to heaven him he mediated the gospel as you heard it as you believed it he's the one who saved you so that you could be set for heaven he's the high priest and what how did he display this high priestly work verse 2 who was faithful to him who appointed him Jesus at every turn obeyed his father obeyed his father's will did right followed his father's leadership perfectly. Just think of how Jesus followed the father and that's what following Jesus looks like for us on earth. He said, I'll do everything according to my father's will. Everything. Jesus Christ is the better priest than Moses. Moses is a good leader, but Jesus Christ is the best Jesus Christ was, and is perfect. He had perfect submission with his heavenly Father. That's that amazing? Even in the deepest and darkest moment of his experience on Earth, the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's, he's dripping great drops of blood, crying out. In a in a sanctified way, saying, God, if there's any way possible for this cup of wrath to be taken from me, let it be done. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. What does that look like in your daily life? Where you're faced with the decision to say, is this God's will? And I'll submit in a humble, soft-hearted way or... Is this God's will and I'll submit in this way? That's considering Christ as the supreme leader. We exalt all kinds of things above Christ's leadership, don't we? Our own intellect, what our mamas told us, what our daddies told us, right? What our boss tells us, what our siblings tell us, what our good friends tell us. We have any number of ways that we allow ourselves to be led and influenced, but you have to ultimately bring everything to the submission of God's word and his spiritual leadership in your life. For you to be saying, Jesus is a better savior and he's a better priest. He's my mediator. Or you say... Why is Moses brought up into this equation at all? It says, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Why is he brought up? It almost seems anticlimactic to bring Moses up right now. If you just are reading the scripture, he's been talking about angels and how Jesus supersedes angels. Well, now he's bringing up Moses. But you have to think in terms of a Jewish mindset to really understand why he's bringing up Moses. Moses. The Jews thought of Moses as the one who really stood closest to God ever, and they exalted Moses as a man who did that. They would exalt Moses above the angels in that sense. The writer is arguing from the greater to the lesser. He's arguing that Christ is the supreme leader, not Moses. And yet in doing so, he's not denigrating or downplaying Moses. He's actually saying he was faithful in all of God's house. The word house here is the word household. It means that Moses was a very good leader in terms of God's family. He was faithful. So they would leave Moses in a very unique space. What was Moses like? Remember, Moses was set apart. He was spared from being slaughtered by Pharaoh. He was poetically drawn out of the water in the Nile by Pharaoh's daughter. That's where he got his name, Moses, to be drawn up out of the water, raised in Pharaoh's household, summoned by Yahweh in a burning bush to free God's people from slavery. Moses was used to perform miracles. He was called directly by God to be the leader on behalf of Israel and confront pharaoh he was the one who led the israelites across the red sea he was begging for to behold god's glory he spoke face to face with god as a friend and he was a a direct recipient of the ten commandments he was the author of the pentateuch he's the one who wrote the first five books of the bible so was he a perfect man no we know that instead of Speaking to the rock at that juncture, he actually provoked the Lord. That's what Hebrews 3 goes on to talk about, the provocation. He provoked the Lord by smacking the rock. jesus wasn't perfect, but he was someone who ranked high in the minds of the Israelites. Numbers 12, 6, and 7 is where this reference is from, where Moses was faithful in God's household. Literally, the verse preceding this quotation, Romans, or Numbers 12, 6 says that Moses, in hearing a vision from God or seeing a vision from God, was speaking mouth to mouth with God. That's the level of intimacy, this face-to-face contact Moses had with God. So there isn't any disrespect here, and yet verse 3 makes a very sharp transition. Look at verse 3. It says, "...for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses." So you're turning from, it was the greater to the lesser. Now it's Moses who's the lesser back to the greater for Jesus has been counted worthy. Moses and Jesus were both faithful in leadership, but Jesus is the one who's counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house and more honor than the house itself. Jesus is worth more, his glory is higher And he's to be honored more. How much more? The analogy here is one of a house, which is an inanimate object. And that's a picture of Moses working with the family of God in his leadership. He did all of these things. He was a full-up, respectable, awesome leader. That's who Moses was. That's who we need to remember him as being. But in comparison to Jesus Christ... You can't quantify Jesus' leadership really in terms of Moses' leadership because Jesus is God. There's a building, and then you have an architect of a building. You have an inanimate inanimate object, and then you have a master builder, sustainer over that object. This is the leader for whom we must look. And, you know, all of the... Uh, sort of Old Testament to New Testament fulfillment dynamic is is being measured in these words. All the Old Testament sacrifices, all the law of the Old Testament that Moses represented, that's all to picture the great leader who was to come as the fulfillment of those pictures. The building is one thing. That's true. That's, it was a phenomenal thing for God to have the Israelites as the people of God. But it's a whole other thing to see the ultimate leader, Jesus Christ, who's the maker and sustainer of God's house. So Christ is not only a better savior and a better mediator or a better priest, but he's more glorious. He's more glorious than Moses. He's the better builder. Verse 3 What what kind of glory did Moses have? I just want to ask that question. Remember, Moses met with God face to face, was receiving the law and the glory shone on the face of Moses. And it was an old covenant glory, so it was a fading glory, and he ultimately had to put a veil over his face. That's true, but the glory of Christ is far greater than that. The glory of Christ is pointing out the fact that Jesus is God. You know, today we're going to have, uh, at 2 p.m., hosting that concert and orchestra of the Messiah. I'm going to try to come. I hope maybe some of you come as well. Um, I, before I was married, I was, uh, this is hard for you to believe, but kind of an unsophisticated person. I know, it's tough. I I really, I mean, in terms of my um, aesthetics and, 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 my natural desire to even listen to classical music, it just wasn't present in my heart or life. And then I married someone who, who has a bit of a renaissance and love for things finer, and I began to listen to what she would listen to because she brought music into our home. You know, besides just where I would listen to like Christian 80s rock, she would listen to like, you know, good stuff. And, and, and it was, and I was listening to, um, you know, classical music. And beginning to listen to, um, Yo Yo Ma play Bach and, and, and listen to these concerts. And, and just by being around good music, things that were finer and grand and glorious and big and awesome and masterpieces, it opened my heart to love those masterpieces, to love grander things, to love finer things. And it caused my heart to soar at levels when I would study or when I wrote a dissertation. I, I couldn't settle for anything less than listening to Yo-Yo Ma and Bach and and good things. I mean, if I listened to other things, it would just sort of distract me. And and the point is that you learn of a masterpiece as you sit with it, as you experience it, as you focus on it. And you consider not only the artwork, but you consider the artist right? That's what Hebrews is saying for you to do. Consider Christ. Don't settle for the house. Also, you need to know the architect and you need to follow the architect. Just following a house will lead you into a dead end street. If you follow church, you follow programs, you follow people, even your brothers and sisters in Christ without ultimately following Christ, guess what? You're going to end up falling short. And if your heart is hardened in your religiosity, you will fall short of heaven itself. You get that? That's the point. Follow Jesus all the way to the end every day, all the time. You have to follow not only within a brother and sisterhood, but you have to follow the builder himself who has supreme, honor, and glory. Considering Jesus is following Jesus. Spending time with Jesus is following Jesus. You look at verse four again. It says, As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself, for every house is built by someone And this is where the author raises the ante. He says, but the builder of all things is God. This is so simply put that Jesus is the builder and Jesus is God. Jesus is made of the same substance as God. Jesus is of the same essence as God the Father because Jesus is God. Moses, he was a man. Jesus is fully man. Jesus, but is God also. And Moses was alive and an active participate, participant in life as a leader, but Jesus is the maker of life and he is the sustainer of life. Listen, where did I go? Again, I'm just going to like, you know, open myself up a little bit here. But where did I go in my heart when I was standing in the doorway of my closet as my house is rocking and rolling in the dark? Where did I go? I went straight up to heaven. Straight up. Yeah, I had some thoughts in my mind early on in the little quaking moments. Well, you know, we just moved to this house. Now it's all going to shake apart. (laughs) Oh, the lights are out. Oh, you know, this this is still going and this is ramping a bit. I hope my children are safe. But the the greatest thrust from me was God, be merciful, be helpful, forgive me of all of my sins, right? That's that's what it is. That's what leadership looks like. And our call on a daily basis is to consider, to consider, to consider, to consider, not the building structure of Christian household faith, but God himself. Consider God as maker and sustainer of all things. He's the builder of all things. Well, to be led by Jesus is to also see him as a better son. Look at verse 5. It says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house. Again, comparing Moses to Christ, and again, not being negative on Moses, he was faithful. He was a servant, and servant is not negative here. It is positive. He was a servant leader. But there was a purpose behind his servanthood. It was to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. All of Moses' leadership and Moses' mission, all of the grief he took from the masses in that first generation. Why are you leading us here? Why does the food taste so bad? Why is it manna burgers again, you know? I don't want a manna banana split again. I'm sick of this, you know? Uh, Why can't we go back to Egypt? Why can't we go back where it's safe? I don't want to go into the promised land. All of that leadership was not meant to exalt Moses. Moses was a type of Christ. And Luke 24 makes this so clear where Jesus on the road to Emmaus was saying that all of the prophets, all of the law, all of the scripture was about me. That's what the risen Christ said. And Moses himself is a type of Christ. Again, set apart as a child, spared, a leader. One who in the wilderness in Numbers, it talks about the fiery serpents that were attacking the people and Moses held up the, the, you know, the bronze serpent and said, look on this to be saved, to be rescued. Moses was a picture of Christ and he was always pointing to the Messiah, whether he knew that directly or not. Think of Moses in the fact that he, his whole storyline illustrates the gospel Moses is called by God out of the burning bush to go to stand in the gap for those Israelites who were enslaved in bondage, hurting, being whipped, being beaten, being abused. And he made a way for them to come out and be redeemed out of slavery. Even the Lamb that was killed and the blood splattered over the doorpost. It's a picture of the cross. It's a picture of grace. And Moses himself pictured all of this. But the author is saying, look, no matter how much you venerate Moses and think of him as a great leader, and this would be to you, no matter who you think is a great leader here on earth, they're like an inanimate object, compared to the living architect, the builder, the author of everything. He's everything. Everything. Every molecule in your body is being held together by this leader who has built you just the way that you are and made you just the way that you are, who providentially is weaving life circumstances together just in the way that they are playing out in your life every single day. God is God, and nobody else is God, right? This is the son. The son is the revelator of God as God himself. The son. Remember chapter 1, verse 2. We've heard from the prophets. We, we see the angels. But then we have the son. You have the son of God to lead you. It's like, okay, well, who am I going to be led by? I'm going to be this or the son of God. Right? The choice is obvious. Follow the son. I think we just sang that right before I'm up here. Follow the son. Follow Jesus. He's the leader. He's the leader. Again, verse 6, but Christ is faithful. Moses was faithful. He was a servant, but Christ is faithful over God's house or over God's household as a son of and if, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. We are his house. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of the Father. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He represents God to us as God, very God. He's an ultimate leader. He's the one to consider. Remember, following Jesus means you consider him and you consider him on this level. Anything lesser in terms of considering Jesus on this level is not considering Christ. That means you're not following Christ. You might be saved, but if you're not exalting Christ at this level in your thinking, that's not following Christ. Do you see what I mean? I hope that's beginning to resonate with you. Because to follow him and have him change your life as you're following him is to consider him on these levels. We don't want to settle for anything less. What does that look like practically? It looks like persevering like a marathon runner. Look at verse 6 at the end. It says, if indeed we hold fast our confidence, then we're his house. And our boasting and our hope, what does that mean? It almost seems like the gospel is conditional, doesn't it? There's a lot of ifs in the book of Hebrews. There's a lot of people who won't preach these verses because they get intimidated to think there's sort of an if-then dynamic where if you don't, then you lost your salvation. And that's not what Hebrews is teaching at all. This is the very healthy doctrine and truth of perseverance. It simply means those who are truly Christians will persevere. Christians are marathon runners. Christians are those who want to because their heart has been changed. They want to hold fast to the gospel. The confidence is the gospel. It's confidence and hope here are more objective than subjective. We're not talking about just a physical, um, visceral, emotional confidence. We're talking about truth, our confidence in Christ himself objectively. We're talking about a hope that is an assurance in truth. It's our boasting and we're holding fast in that. Tying this all together, those who are genuine are the ones who persevere to the end. The only condition that's placed on our salvation is whether or not God has saved you in the first place or not. You're going to talk about a condition on your salvation. You didn't save yourself at all. The only condition is whether or not God chose to save you in the first place. Did he or didn't he? Has he or hasn't he? Well, if he has, then your heart wants to follow Jesus as your leader. If your heart doesn't want to follow Jesus, examine yourself. Say, Lord, am I yours? I want to be yours. I want to follow your leadership, not some other leader. Everything comes down to the question, who are you following? Who are you considering? Don't settle for anyone less than the one who came to this earth and loved you enough to die for all of your sins.